Exodus 19. We have two weeks left in Exodus, tonight and next week. We're going to finish reading the book this week. And so next week, I'll just go ahead and tell you what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the uh, the tabernacle, the building of the... Ca- I'm going to talk about Exodus 32, the golden calf. Uh, but that really brings together a lot of the themes that are in Exodus in a negative way. <laughs> it's like an inversion of everything God's going for. So we're going to uh, focus on that next week. Um, so the tabernacle, the plans and the building of the tabernacle, which sandwiched this golden calf episode, uh, will end Exodus by talking about that. This week, I want to focus on this middle section. Remember, we, we outlined Exodus by talking about the deliverance from Egypt, uh, and then God's revelation of his provision, God's revelation, what we're going to talk about tonight, of his principles, his character. Well, really, all through the book, he's revealing his character, but his principles, his statutes, okay? And then the end talks about God's revelation of his presence, the dwelling place of God. So that's what we're going to talk about, the golden calf and the dwelling place of God next week. Tonight, I want to focus on Exodus 19 and 20, really, uh, and a little bit of 21 through 24. Uh, But those are basically just... Um, applications of the Ten Commandments, which are in, in Exodus 20. So let's uh, read Exodus 19. Uh, I'm going to just start in verse 3 or 2. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that uh, as we dig in tonight, uh, Lord, that you would that you would come and 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 have your presence here, Lord, just like uh, on the mountain, Lord, where your your voice broke through. And it spoke to hearts, Lord, and it, 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 made you, it made yourself known by the sound of your voice, Lord. I pray that your word uh, would make yourself known to our hearts, uh, Lord, that the sound of these words would reveal uh, you to us and that we would know you better because of tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Exodus 19 is where God establishes what's called the Sinai Covenant. And a covenant is a relational agreement between two parties, usually between a sovereign and a subject. Okay? Now, the covenants existed in the ancient world, and uh, covenants are not unique to the Bible, but uh, God chooses to use the idea of a covenant to, uh, as, as sort of a, a word picture about, about the nature of his covenant with his people. And basically what would happen in the covenant, and you can read all sorts of stuff about ancient covenants 
uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of ink that has been spilled on uh, the matter of ancient covenants. But you can read how it basically has to do with a sovereign pledging to protect and guard and provide for a subject if the subjects abide by the stipulations that the sovereign puts forth. And they pledge sole allegiance to the sovereign. And so this is what's happening. Okay, this is, this is God saying, I am the one uh, that I want you to serve solely. And here's, what, here's how I would like you to live under my rulership. And if you do this, I will be your God. I will, be, I will protect you. I will, I will provide for you. And um, so this is unique in a few ways. But what I, want to, what I want to point out, and this is probably the primary point tonight, is that in the ancient world you had law codes, right? And you had covenants. But it's uniquely in the Bible that you have a law code given in the context of a covenant. Okay? In the context of a, that kind of relationship. And so what this means is that there's all these stipulations, and we'll get into some of what the stipulations are, what God's commandments are in the covenant. It's one thing to break a law code. It's another thing to break a covenant. So having a law code within the context of a covenant means that breaking a law is not just breaking a law. It's an offense to that person with whom you have entered into a covenant. Okay? So we have law that is set forth, but it's enveloped in this deeply personal and intimate covenant. And a lot of people point out the fact that, that Exodus 19 sounds an awful lot like a wedding ceremony. Right? You have this place and there's preparations being made and there's people purifying themselves and then going up into this holy place and pronouncing the, the, the arrangement between these two parties. Right? It's a very solemn assembly, a solemn agreement. That's, that's, and out of the solemn agreement then comes the law. Okay? So it's not just, all right, here's all my picky preferences. Don't break those laws. It's this is who I am. This is how... Our relationship should be governed. And now you breaking any of these rules is not just, you know, kind of being rebellious and not abiding by the law of the land. But it's you saying, you, my superior, the one that gives me protection and guidance. I, I, I choose to reject you. You reject a person and not just a rule. Okay? So this is, this is a unique thing in the Bible. And it's something that I think is missing in, in American Christianity. The fact that God has preferences. God has shoulds and shouldn'ts. Shouts and shalt nots. Okay? And breaking those doesn't just mean you're kind of a bad person. It means that you have decided that you, you don't want a relationship with God. It's a relational thing. The law exists within a relationship. So here's how he begins the covenant. You yourselves have seen, number one, what I did to the Egyptians. Right? We just, it's gloriously described for us in the first half of Exodus. What God did to the Egyptians. You saw what I did to them. 
And we talked about that. The plagues, the signs, the, the revelation of who God is through these wonders. Okay? Number two, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. How I've sustained you. I've kept you alive. I've given you miraculous provision and protection. I bore you on eagle's wings. Three, and I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. And you have to hear the heart of God in this. If you don't hear anything else, people look at the Old Testament and they see law, 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 law. What you need to see in the Old Testament is God bringing his people to himself. That is what the story is. God doing everything possible to bring his people to himself. All right? So that's what you see. He, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, what do you think about this covenant? How about this agreement? Right? I have proven myself superior to those people under whose protection you were, if you want to call it protection, under whose provision, you, you, if you want to call it provision, I brought you out of that. Now, look how I provide bread from heaven, water from a rock, miraculous, uh, supernatural victory over enemies. How about, you, how, how about, how about a covenant? How about, how about being my people? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, the context of the law, the context of the Ten Commandments, is a covenant, it's a relationship. And breaking the law is not just breaking a code. It's, it's an offense against this personal, relational God who's not just off kind of neutral in heaven, who, has, who is longing for relationship and who is moving mightily to draw his people to himself. All right, so right there, that, I mean, if you understand that, you will understand most of the Old Testament. If you really understand the heart of God here, it will go a long way understanding the whole rest of the Old Testament. Because you can come to any passage and go, all right, what's going on here in, in Leviticus? What are we talking about here? It was something about bodily excrement, right? <laughs> what's, what's happening? Well, God has said, you will be my people. A people need a way to live, right? People need rules. People need social uh, boundaries <laughs> and even hygiene, okay? So here's how you're going to live in relationship with each other. You're going to consider each other. You're going to take the excrement out of the camp and bury it out there. <laughs> Don't leave it laying in the street. Right? I mean, this is very practical stuff. And God knows how it's done. Okay, so... You can read all through Exodus 19. We'll read the whole thing tonight. But it's this holy moment, and the people are there. And Moses is there. And all the people are gathered at the mountain. And God's coming down on the mountain uh, to speak to them. Which, by the way... This is interesting. If you contrast that with, with Pharaoh, right? This, it's not, you know, they had the pyramids, and the pyramids were sort of a way for man to get to God. This is a mountain which God put there, and he's coming down <laughs> and dwelling on it, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a different way 
of God interacting with man. And even it's a different way for man to mediate the presence of God to people. Right? Moses is there. He's in no way like a pharaoh, like a God man. He is there just doing whatever the, the cloud of fire tells him to do. Right? And God is choosing how to come down and dwell. Um, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. I mean, what a scene. If you can just take, take a moment and just go there in your mind. What an amazing. Do you ever get that, that pit in your stomach when you see like a really crazy storm headed your way? Or when there's like swirling clouds or like a huge lightning flash and thunder? I mean, just think of that. That awe and sort of that fear and you know, multiply that a hundred times. That's what the people were, fear, that were feeling. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and uh, to look, and many of them perish. Uh, so then in, in chapter 20, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, and again he starts with the personal aspect, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And he gives the Ten Commandments. Right? And these are, God's, these are God's priorities. You can call the Ten Commandments God's priorities. You shall have no other gods before me. We always have to remember in this passage of Scripture what, what state the Israelites were in. They had just spent 400 years in bondage to a pagan superpower okay they had stories and probably faithful people who had passed down stories of who Yahweh was or who God was who Abraham Isaac and Jacob were right obviously they, they kept those stories alive but it would have been impossible to maintain the boundaries such as they were okay and in the end of Joshua he actually says your fathers served the Egyptian gods Okay, so among the people of Israel, they had served pagan gods. They, and it wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been like, ooh, paganism versus monotheism. They wouldn't have thought of it in that term, in those terms. It would, it would have just been like everyday life, paganism. So here God's saying is clear all of that out. <laughs> We're going one God, one deity, and it's me. And he fleshes this out a little bit with the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness, and this is important, of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, i.e., the created order, the cosmos, right? Because pagan man worships the cosmos. That's why... The Nile is God. That's why the sun is God. That's why the frog goddess is God. That's why the gnats are God. Because there's nothing beyond this. And God's saying, I am beyond this. And don't worship anything that looks like all of this stuff that I've made. You shall not bow down to them or or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's very important. Basically, don't take anything. We've talked a, little, we've talked a lot about idolatry as we've been going through. Don't take anything that God created and call it God. Okay? Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I feel like this is one of the most neglected commandments of all of them, because it doesn't mean using profanity. Right? It, well, that's included. That's not all it means. Okay? The reason profanity is bad is because of what this commandment is talking about, which is taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. It goes much deeper than just saying, oh my God, you know, like you learn when you're a kid, or oh, Jesus. Right? It goes way deeper than that. Um, God's name... And all through scripture, you see someone's name is really who they are, right? What, what makes them. So you don't take God's name. You don't call yourself, right? And that's like when you get married, you take the name of your spouse. Well, take the name of your husband, depending on your arrangement. I don't know. Who knows anymore these days? Um, you take the name of your husband, Okay. And he's saying, don't take that in vain. Don't, don't take the name of God in a hollow way. That's why we pray in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the opposite of in vain. Hallowed, revered, um, admired, holy is your name. Is who you are is holy. Not just the personal name of God, but who he is. He is holy. Another way of of looking at this would be, don't be a nominal member of Yahweh's people by name only. That would be taking the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus, I think, had a lot of people who associated themselves with him, but who were eventually weeded out as not truly his, right? That they took the name of Jesus in vain. They took the name of disciple of Jesus in vain. Okay, so this, we absolutely need to, to cling to this commandment and ask yourself, do I really, what does it mean to be called a Christian? Do I, do I bring honor to that title? Do I bring honor to the title of G, to the name of Jesus? And it has to do with the way you live, the way you bear, the way you take the name. Okay? So don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Jesus has a lot of his harshest rebukes to who? Hypocrites. The Pharisees. And what is a hypocrite? It's someone who takes the name of the Lord in vain. Who does not live what they preach who does not live up to the name that they love to be called by. All right? And that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. And also don't say, oh my God. <laughs> That's included, I, I think. That's part of the whole package. Um, 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that rounds out the first four of the commandments. And a lot of you probably already know this, but the first four are vertical, our relationship with God. The second six are horizontal, our relationships with each other. And a lot of people point out that the hinge point is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is where we commune with God so that we can go out and live the life that he's called us to live. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. Um, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, right as we, so, and we, we t- I talked about this a little bit in the child training seminar, so closely related to our relationships with our earthly children and parents is uh, our relationship with God himself. He is a father, okay? And he does train us up as his children, And so we are to honor our fathers and mothers so that God can bless the earth through our families. Um, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. All right, so these commandments, I will say, we, we, we honor them a lot. We want to put them in public places, right? There are big fights over, can you put the Ten Commandments up? And I will say that, though these are awesome, they are the ABCs. <laughs> they are not the fullness of what it means to walk with God. Okay, at this point, he is saying, all right, bare minimum, you're coming out of a pagan society. Now, let's start from scratch. Let's get, let's get these things straight. Now, A, B, and C. Okay? Now, with that alphabet, we're going to make all sorts of beautiful language and words. Okay? But none of it happens unless you know ABC. All right? And this is what I would say the Sermon on the Mount gets at. When Jesus comes and he says, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, We're going way beyond that. I tell you, we're writing poetry (laughs) with those letters. You see what I'm saying? These are the ABCs. Why do you want to keep learning your ABCs and hitting hitting everyone over the head with the ABCs? We're trying to take all of that and live this beautiful life that God's called us to live. So, these commandments are the ABCs for Israel, but also for the world. Okay, because in this, what has God said? If you would listen to my voice and obey my commandments, you will be, what does he say? My treasured possession among all peoples. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be for me where the world gets to see who I am. That's what God is looking for in his people. If you will learn your ABCs 
and begin to speak in this language of heaven, the world will see who I am. And the world will begin to see. Egypt will look and go, wow, we worship the sun. They worship the guy who made the sun. (laughs) And their life is full of blessing. They don't cheat on each other's wives. right? They don't kill each other. They protect each other's rights. They don't exploit each other. Wow, that's a great God. <laughs> but Jesus, or, or God says, if you will learn this stuff and live from this place, everyone will see. So these are Israel's ABCs, but they're also the ultimate goal is for everyone to be able to see the nation of Israel, see them living out these things and say that the the God of that people is the God of the whole earth. Um, Verse 18 of chapter 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. This is interesting. Just listen closely. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. What does that mean? (laughs) Don't fear, because... God wants you to fear him. It doesn't make any sense. What are we talking about here? Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Part of the ABCs that God has to teach the children is a fear, a healthy fear of sin. That God that you're afraid of, don't be afraid of him, but be afraid of doing the things that tell him, I don't care about what you say. Right? The law exists within a covenant, within a relationship. Don't fear. No, he's God. He's come to bring you to himself. What you should fear is not doing any of these things that he's saying. Fear that. That's a good thing to fear. You should fear sin. And again, this is a, this is a lesson that we teach children. Right? Why do we need to teach children? The power of no. Because their life depends on it. Don't run in the street. Don't touch the stove. You should be afraid of it. We even go, we go to great lengths to instill fear in them of the socket in the wall. Right? They fear, they don't know what electricity is. They have no idea. But we can teach them that it, when you do that, something bad happens to you. Okay? And this is what God is teaching his children. No, don't fear me but god wants to test you so that he can put the fear of sin says so that you may not sin the people stood far off while moses drew near to the thick darkness where god was and this gets interesting here at the end of chapter 20 and the lord said to moses so he begins to speak to the people through moses as an intermediary up to this point he's been speaking and everyone has heard it ten commandments everybody heard it and they said We can't handle this anymore. The voice of God is just too terrifying. Moses, you go listen to him and then you go tell us. Okay, this should tell you something about 
the nature of God. The people were begging for a mediator, a human mediator, because God himself was unapproachable in their current state. It wasn't because God is, you know, some kind of boogeyman. It was because the people were so unlike him that if, if they were to get through to him, they would evaporate because of his holiness. So they were saying, we need, a, we need an intermediary. We need a human. I don't know, but this, this awesome cosmic power, you know, we, we, can't, we can't handle this. Please speak to us. Moses, we'll listen to you. Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me. Nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. Don't do it in the way of Egypt. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. In other words, don't make a pagan altar to me. Don't do it after the manner of Egypt. Don't get it all fancy. (laughs) Just make it an altar of earth. Okay? I'm not interested in everything that you can do to look religious and to drum up a sense of devotion to the gods. I don't want any of that. I want true and honest relationship. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Sometimes the gap between our understanding and their understanding just makes it a little bit comical. I think, I think it's okay to kind of laugh at that. Don't go up on the steps because your nakedness will be exposed. Um, okay, so then he starts to flesh out the rules, and the next three chapters are various kinds of rules, and they're not, it's sort of a little bit hard to, they're, they're not clearly structured or labeled. Um, there are different sections that sort of lump together, but it's hard to find any particular flow. I think it's safe to say that all of these rules are just ways that they, in their current time and place, can live by the ten words that he just spoke. Okay? The first laws are about slaves. Why would that be? Yeah, who said that? Was it you? No. Who said that? Someone answer the question. It was correct. <laughs> they were they were just slaves. Okay. <laughs> yes. Correct. Ding. They they were slaves. And so this is funny because people look at this section and they go, see the Bible condones slavery. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> I need a recording of that. Just to click a button. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with condoning slavery. It says, hey, given slavery at this state of the world, let's do it in a way that protects people and that humanizes people. 
Right? This is a very humanizing uh, statute for slavery. Right? When you buy a Hebrew slave, he will serve for six years, and in the seventh, he will go free. But not 400 generations and generations. And certainly, you're not going to go killing all of the firstborn sons. Right? If you're going to use a slave. So, this is a radically... A radical, a radical shift in, in lifestyle, in culture, okay? God is teaching the Israelites, but he wants to teach the world through them, okay? So he's saying, all right, we're not going to do slavery like Egyptian slavery. We're going to do this. Six years, seventh, go free. And then he also... Give some, some stipulations for protecting the family bonds within family, different families of slaves. Okay? And there's this, there's this idea of the, the, the sanctity of life that starts to come in. And the sanctity of family. Okay? And God is speaking these things into this mess of a culture that's called Egypt. And on and on. And that's what, that's what all this stuff, all these laws are. Up through chapter 24. Um, all right, so this is a very interesting part of Scripture, and it's where the law part of the Torah really starts to crystallize. And then we get into Leviticus and then Deuteronomy, and, and all these laws start to come forth. But the main point that I want to bring us to is the God behind those laws and the covenant that envelops this code. Okay? And that's so important to, to recognize because we tend to go law and then he's also relational. No, the whole point of the, the law is an expression of the God who is bringing the people under his wings and protecting them and being their God and making them a, a, a special prized possession of his. Okay? And the other thing to, to, that I think is always helpful to keep in mind is that this is the same God. And all through this, you see allusions back to creation. That he's the creator. He brought all this into being. And he, he created the world. And he, he rested on the seventh day. And all, Don't make any graven image, images of anything in heaven or earth. And anything that I created. Okay? Um, God, by his word, created the world. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, and there are ten God says in Genesis. Okay, and a lot of you have heard this before, but it's, it's worth pointing out. There are ten commandments. Okay, the ten God says and the ten commandments are really the same kind of thing. God speaking life as it should be into the earth. And God creating is a creative thing. So these commandments, they sound like a list of prohibitions. But what it actually is, is a breath of life into a wicked and perverse world. No other gods besides me. Life. No graven image. Serve the true God. Don't commit adultery. What a breath of life into the earth. Don't murder. Okay, this is a creative force that is coming into the world. 
And always it's the voice of God. He says, if you will hear me and obey my voice, you are going to be a, you're, you're going to be a blessing to the earth. And this has always been what it's been about. Adam, if you hear my voice, you'll be a blessing to the earth. Noah, you hear my voice, obey it, be a blessing to the earth. Abraham, you walk with me, walk before me, be blameless, listen to my voice, you'll be a blessing to the earth. And the, the voice of God, the word of God, is the creative force. So here God is, you could say the Ten Commandments are God's recreation of his people. They become something that looks nothing like what he created due to Egypt. And he is now recreating his people, his humanity, after his image by speaking his word. The world is being reborn. Now, this is just a type and a shadow of the true rebirth that happens when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And the man Jesus is the word of God. He is the ultimate God said. Okay. Um, so I want to encourage us as we, as we continue to go through the word to be a people that realize that, that the word of God really is, it really is a creative force. That even in all through the Old Testament, what we are reading is God speaking life into, his, into the creation that has rebelled from him. And he's speaking life. He's speaking forgiveness. He's speaking redemption into the earth and all of, and all of this stuff. Um, and so, you know, we need to ask ourselves, are we, we've set ourselves to go through the Bible. <laughs> we heard clearly from God that uh, we need to be a people of the word. We need to be a Psalm 1 people. Remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Right? When you, when you meditate on the law of God, you go back to Eden. You are once again that, that place, that fresh place where God can come and walk with his people in the cool of the day. Um, so I want to encourage us in this time, don't get, you know, we're in the middle of the summer. We can kind of get, you know, we're heading into Leviticus, right? We're going to reach some, some dry sections, okay? Recommit yourself to, to, to delight yourself in the Lord. Um, because what we are hearing and what he is, is doing uh, in our hearts through his word is he is creating us into uh, the people that we were meant to be. Amen? The other thing I want to I bring home for us is I really like thinking about this story in terms of this people who've been delivered because we like to focus on the deliverance, but so much of the story is about what God has to do to that delivered people to make them actually his people. Okay, and this is where we are. This is where we will be until we go to meet the Lord in person. Okay? We are in this place between coming out of the Red Sea and entering into the promised land. And God is taking us on the journey. Okay? And he's revealing himself to us as 
our provision, our protection. He is teaching us, just as Jesus said, teaching us to obey everything that he has commanded us. He is teaching us how to walk with him. He is teaching us what he likes and doesn't like. He's teaching us the difference between the world around us, the world we've come out of, and his kingdom. All right? And this is exactly what the people of Israel are realizing. Their relationship with the world around them becomes a huge part of the story from here on out, especially as we head into next week. They try and have church, and it goes horribly wrong. (laughs) And I really think there was not that much malice in it. I think they were genuinely excited about what they were doing. And it was an offense to God. Okay? So what God has to do, he has to do so much. We don't think the way that he thinks. And we don't do things the way that he likes. And we have to relearn some. We have to go back to ABC and learn how to, don't touch that, you'll get burned. All right? And if that process, sometimes we, we think we're, we're above that process. But we're not. God has to really reorder our lives in a lot of ways. And if, if, there's, not a, you know, if there's not a regular <laughs> training going on in your life, you're probably not really walking with God in the way that he wants you to walk with him. If there aren't moments where you go, oh, man, that's how I did it in Egypt. And that's, that's nothing like you want me to do it. But I think I see that stuff in my life <laughs> on a daily basis, or a weekly basis. Um, but this is, the life that, this is the life of God's people. And it's not because he's a picky, stingy God. It's because he's holy. And his holiness is nothing like the corruption that he has plucked us out of. And he is cleaning us off. He is bearing us on wings like eagles um, and teaching us how to be his. In the end of Deuteronomy, the song that we sang uh, really reminded me of this, and, and I'll close with this. Um, that's from Isaiah, I think. He, he, he lifts us up on wings like eagles. Uh, Isaiah 40, I think. Um, but it comes back in Deuteronomy. And it says, He found them in a desert land. This is Moses kind of recounting the story of the people of God. He found them in a desert land. Actually, let me, let me, let me start a little before that because there's some good stuff in here. Um, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And that's what Paul refers to in Philippians 2. Uh, They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people 
Jacob his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land in the, and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept them as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Um, so just that picture of God. This is what God has done with us. He has, he has brought us to himself. And number one, you need to realize that that's what God is. And that that's how he desires you. And that's how he cares for you. Number two, you're nothing like him. And because he is who he is. And because he loves you the way that he does. And because he is entering into the kind of relationship with you that he is entering into. We need to fear him so that we may not sin. Right? It's not fear or love and comfort. It's the same God. We fear to sin because of this God that loves us so much. Okay? So that was, one of, that was probably the biggest thing on my heart as we came. They feared God because he was scary. And he was saying, no, no, no. You need to fear breaking his commands because of who he is. He's a great God. And he loves us. And look at what he's done. And so both ideas are there. And all through scripture, these ideas get fleshed out, especially in the New Testament. Uh, there's so much about the love and the severity of God, the holiness and the compassion of God. But it's, a one, God, it's one God. Okay? And we have to eat the whole lamb right? and not pick the parts that we like. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, finding us in the desert place, in the howling wilderness, and, and bringing us to yourself. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would be captured with the love that you have for us. Uh, but Lord, that we would be so diligent and fearful of doing those things that... Uh, that bring your name low, Lord, that cause people to, to look at us and say, um, he has the name of the Lord, but he doesn't, he lives like the world. Lord, we, want, we don't want to be those who take your name in vain. We want to be those who fear, uh, fear you that we may not sin. And we do want to be your treasured possession. Lord, we want uh, the world to see us and to be able to see you. And Lord, I thank you that this room is full of people who do bear your image uh, because of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that in these days, Lord, you are opening your word to us. And I pray that we would grab hold of it, Lord, uh, that nobody would, um, that no, would be, no one would fall behind. Lord, that we would press into you in these days, that we would seek to know your word. Lord, we do live in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation. And we are way more affected by it than we, than we realize. And we need you to come, Lord. And, and once again, take us through the ABCs uh, so that we can speak your language, Lord. And that we can uh, sing your songs, Lord. So that the nations around us could see who you are. 
and would come and find you here. Hallelujah. Lord, make us your people. Make us a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, uh, for your glory in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.